Well, thank you to your welcoming of George with us. This is a perfect example of what you, Marian helpers, are allowing to happen in the spread of God's kingdom and mercy. Because of you, and only because of you, are we able to be flourishing in vocations. You know, you won't read this in the Wall Street Journal or in the New York Times or wherever. They just want you to believe, well, maybe not the Wall Street Journal, that's more business, but the secular newspapers, they don't ever want you to believe there's anything good happening in the church. You won't read that there are communities like the Marians of the Immaculate Conception flourishing with vocations. Do you know we have more men today studying for the priesthood than at any time in the history of our congregation, at least here in the United States? That's phenomenal. And so we have you to thank, and people like George coming new to join us are the fruits of that. So keep praying because if you want to know if the message of divine mercy is important or not, all you have to do is look at God wouldn't be sending us these good men if it wasn't important. So you are part of something very important, very needy, very um, at this time in our world, uh, without a doubt, absolutely needed. So thank you for helping support our vocations through prayer or however means you can. God bless you. All right, so the law is what we're talking about here today. Jesus makes it very clear. Now, what's interesting is if you go online to the internet, uh, which I would not recommend doing so, into these chat rooms and things like that, you'll hear a lot about criticisms of the Bible, saying things like, the Bible is no longer valid. It doesn't apply today because it doesn't let you eat shellfish or cut your hair. Those are just one of many examples people list and they talk about online. Therefore, I don't need to follow the Bible. I can do my own thing. Well, here's the thing. Yes, Christ fulfilled the dietary and the ritual laws. So yes, you can eat shellfish. And the ritual law, yes, you can cut your hair or not cut your hair. Jesus fulfilled those. These dietary and ritual laws of the Old Testament Christ fulfilled, but the moral law remains. This is important. Now, these dietary and ritual laws were fulfilled with Christ because Jesus, through Jesus, God established a new covenant of faith and love with mankind. He took it to the next level. The Old Testament is like treating a, a, a toddler. What do you say to a toddler? No, no, no. But what do you say to a teenager or a young adult? Do this. Do this. So it goes from the no's, the do nots, like a little infant, that's who mankind was in the Old Testament, to the do this out of love. Love your, your brother. Don't be fighting with your brother, but love your brother. So you see, it goes from the do nots to the do's. Now, Christians, though, are we required to follow a lot of people will quote the Old Testament law and say, therefore, we have to follow it. Now, this is interesting. What about Old Testament laws regarding this, like crime and the punishment that was given for crime expressed in the Bibles? Some really interesting punishments. Warfare, slavery, diet, circumcision, animal sacrifice, tithing, ritual cleanliness, 
ritual cleansing, are we required as Christians to follow those to the letter of the law, pun intended? The answer is actually no. But let's unpack it. The legal and liturgical precepts of the Old Testament were laid down by God for a particular stage in salvation history, for a particular time. That was up to the coming of Christ. Christians are not obliged to observe the law in the same way since Christ. Now, what are you saying, Father? Because it says here, not one iota of the law will pass away until it is accomplished or to all things have taken place, depending on if you're reading the NAB, which we use at Mass, or me, I personally read the RSVCE, the Revised Standard Version Catholic Edition of the Bible. So sometimes my words are a little bit different than what I've read in Scripture, but they mean the same thing. Notice it says, not one iota of the law, and iota, you know that phrase we use, that's the smallest of the Hebrew letters. But anyway, not any of it will pass away until it is accomplished. Well, it's now been accomplished. Jesus on the cross says, it is now finished. But still, that does not mean the law doesn't apply. The law and the moral law definitely applies. Let's look at this even more. These existed because they had no law before, or I should say, maybe a better way to say this is that these laws existed because there had to be a law before the gospel could be given. Mankind had to have some understanding of following some kind of authority. So in the beginning, it was the law. That was the authority. But then Christ replaced it with the new covenant. So men had to learn the difference between right or wrong. That was the first stage. That's like the toddler. Don't touch the hot stove. That's what the Old Testament is for. It helps us to grow and leaning as like a little toddler to know right from wrong and their inability to do it themselves. What does a toddler learn? I can't do this stuff. I can't reach the top of the cabinets where the cereal is. I need mom's help. She has to get it or dad has to get it. This is what's going on. So as Jesus saw it, this is not unimportant. You still have to learn and base it from that beginning precepts of knowing right from wrong. So as Jesus saw it, it's a man's duty not to forget the past, but to build upon it. To build upon the foundation of the past is what Jesus is talking about here. He was saying that there is diff definitely not to eliminate the past, but to continue it into the present. This is what Pope Benedict meant when he said the hermeneutic of continuity. I get letters all the time from people that reject anything after Vatican II, saying the Novus Ordo Mass is invalid. Well, this is the Church of Christ. But then I also have people that reject everything prior to Vatican II, saying it's old-fashioned and doesn't apply. Pope Benedict said in continuity, hermeneutic of continuity, you need both. This is what Jesus is saying here. This is why Jesus also made the statement about the law that sometimes causes confusion. He said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law. I have come to fulfill it. 
Now, if he says, I did not come to abolish the law, this seems odd because Jesus himself and his disciples did not observe many of the rules of the law, especially the rituals like, like, like um, cleansing and washing hands before certain dinners at the Pharisee's house or eating the grains on the Sabbath. So what does Jesus mean when he says, I have not come to abolish the law, but yet he didn't even follow some of those precepts of the law? All right, very interesting. The reason is that the law had many different meanings at the time of Jesus. Regarding the dietary rules of the law, Jesus said no. These are fulfilled. It's not what you put into your body that can defile. It's what comes out of it, your words, your actions. And also regarding the ritual law, he also said no. I fulfilled that. There's no longer animal sacrifices. I'm the sacrifice. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross ended the need for animal sacrifice. He is the true lamb, the lamb now being sacrificed. So the bottom line is the apostles agreed at the Council of Jerusalem that Gentile converts were not required to follow all the tenets of the old law, such as circumcision. The key, however, to not forget is this same council still kept the moral law. So this is why you don't reject the Old Testament. Even though people on these chat rooms say it doesn't apply anymore because I can't eat shellfish or cut my hair, that's the dietary and ritual law. Christ fulfilled that. But the moral law, he strengthened, maintained it, and actually strengthened it. At the council, they said they had to abstain from certain things like sexual immorality. That was upheld, in fact, strengthened. So Jesus did not abolish the moral law. This is what he's talking about. And any ethical law that had been in effect since the time of Moses, a.k.a. the Ten Commandments. I've also gotten letters saying the Ten Commandments don't apply. Yes, they do. That's the moral law. Christ maintained that. It's bad attitudes and actions that make a person unholy, not the food they eat. So this will endure. Well, it might you unhealthy, but not unholy. <laughs> All right. So God has not revoked his original covenant with Israel and the Jewish people. The new covenant didn't revoke the old. It built upon it. It took us from children to adults. So, Christians still look to the Old Testament for moral and uh, spiritual guidance. You can see this in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now, not necessarily the law, meaning dietary and ritual, but moral, yes. So the bottom line is freedom from the Old Testament law is not necessarily license for Christians to throw out the moral law. The moral law remains. The moral and ethical teachings of Jesus and his apostles actually call for a greater level of the moral law. Remember this? Jesus said you shall not murder, but even being angry will bring you to judgment. Whew. That's a wake up. 
or you shall not commit adultery. You remember it said that you shall not commit adultery? But amen, amen, I say to you, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery. Woo! Do you think this sounds like Jesus is getting rid of the moral law? No, he's strengthening it. And we can't do these things without the grace of God. The only way we can do it. People always confess to me, Father, I have sinned because this idea came into my head. No, the devil has access to your intellect. He can put ideas into your head. That's not the sin. The sin is what you do with it. Do you entertain it and keep it or even draw it in and fantasize about it to the point where it does become sinful? As Father Dan used to laugh, he said he had one person come up to him one day. He says, Father, you know, this was regarding um, uh, immoral thoughts. And, um, and he says, Father... I don't entertain immoral thoughts. They entertain me. <laughs> so Father Dan was like, that's the point we have to be weary of. We have to realize that that is what we do with it. The devil has in access to your intellect, but not your will. That expression, the devil made me do it, is absolutely incorrect. The devil tempted you, but you did it. That's the difference. Okay. So basically, here's what Jesus is basically saying. Look, if you thought the law was tough, <laughs> wait till you see this. All right, if you really want to be my disciple, give me your whole heart. That's tougher because it's called surrender your will. When our will crosses God's will, God's will must be done. That's kind of what the cross is. That's why we carry our crosses. Because the cross is like our will crossing God's will. And when God's will crosses our will, God's will has to be done. All right. So don't think that Christ is basically ending the law. And now you can do whatever you want. No, that's not true either. Um, God has not given us the right to pick and choose his moral commandments. You can't say, well, you know, I accept the church teaching on murder, but I don't accept the church's teaching on premarital sex. It's not the cafeteria plan. We have to understand this. Jesus said that righteousness of the Christian must ex exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. They were of the law. He's saying we got to be above that. Their only aim and desire was to satisfy the demands of the law. But the law has a limit. There was only 613 precepts. Now, that's enough. But the motive under which we Christians are to live is the motive of love, and that has no limit. There's no 613 precepts of Christian love. It's infinite. All right? It's not even theoretically possible to fulfill the demands of love. You can never give it enough. That's what the New Testament is. Augustine said, love God and do what you like. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? All right, so the bottom line is, why do we have the Ten Commandments then, Father? Because they can be summed up into this, reverence for God and respect for neighbor. Reverence for God and respect for neighbor. This reverence and respect is what Jesus came to fulfill. He came to show men in actual life that reverence for God and reverence or respect for man are important. 
You know, sometimes we don't want to make, we're quick to jump to assumptions. I do it all the time. It's one of my many, many faults that you hear or you see something, you automatically judge it. Please, I ask the same, I'm trying to be merciful to others. Please, I ask for the same mercy. Yesterday, I spent a huge amount of my day fighting off my own community coming after me because you, there's been reports that I was reading my cell phone during mass last Sunday. Now, people, some even went so far as to demanding to talk to the superiors here. I think one's even going to the bishop. Others, thankfully, wrote me directly and sent me emails. I really appreciate that. Thank you to those who did that, because if you do have a question, that's valid. You could email me, and then I was able to respond. But do you really think I'm here on the altar surfing the web? Do you really think I'm texting my friend during Mass? No. I thought I explained, but the reason I had my cell phone was because I was up, I had two hours of sleep the night before, and I forgot my homily. And I came here, and I did not have anything on my homily. And to be honest with you, I couldn't even remember what the gospel was. I had two hours of sleep and couldn't remember what the gospel was. So during the first reading, yes, I pulled out my phone. But I can promise you, it wasn't to surf the web. It wasn't to text. I was trying to read the gospel so that in the three minutes before the homily, I could somehow come up with a homily. That's what I was trying to do. So please, have mercy. And I can say the same thing about myself. I, I many times see something or hear something that somebody says, and I come to a conclusion. I, I'm not saying I wouldn't have done the same thing. Let's just have mercy on each other. <laughs> I guess that's the message. And so, you know, I'm, I'm not doing that to be disrespectful to my neighbor, to disrespect you or certainly our Lord. The Ten Commandments say, have reverence for God and respect for man. My only purpose with the cell phone was to try to come up with the homily in the three minutes that I had because I had forgotten it and honestly couldn't even remember the gospel. So, this is the message I think Jesus is teaching us. He came to show us how to live. You know, this reverence for uh, God and respect for man is actually justice. It's kind of weird, isn't it? Isn't justice eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth? Oh, they did this. Go get them. Call the bishop. Call the superior. Report. Report them. No. Justice is giving someone their due. Do you know that's why actually religion falls under the category of justice, under the virtue of justice? Actually, religion, going to church, falls under a virtue. You build a virtue. Remember, that's how you get to heaven, is, is God's grace, first and foremost, but cooperating with it in virtue. And the virtue of religion, or excuse me, religion is actually under the virtue of justice, why? Because you're giving God his due. God is due worship. And when we come to church, to religion, we are giving God his due, D-U-E, what he is due. He's due our reverence. So when you come to Mass, you're building virtue. 
That's how you get to heaven in cooperating with God's grace. God's grace gets you to heaven, but you got to cooperate with it. And when you do, you build virtue. So this is powerful stuff. Justice said the Greeks to the Greeks consists in giving to God and to man that which is their due. And that reverence and respect did not consist necessarily of just obeying a bunch of 613 petty laws. It consisted not in sacrifice, but in mercy. Not in legalism, but in love. That's how we get from the Old Testament to the New Testament. The Old Testament was sacrifice. New Testament is mercy. Old Testament is legalism. New Testament is love. Love and mercy. And that is why Brother Mark has helped us to really show you a beautiful movie called Love and Mercy. That one title about St. Faustina, Faustina, Love and Mercy, summarizes the entire New Testament, the New Covenant, and the diary of St. Faustina. Love and Mercy. Let us have love for God and mercy on our neighbor. God bless you and thank you. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit DivineMercyPlus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's DivineMercyPlus.org. Are you a Marian Helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.